Well, good morning, Sheridan Hills. It is my privilege to be able to share God's Word with you again this morning. Uh, Pastor Andrew wisely asked me to, to be prepared to preach as he was traveling back, not knowing what was awaiting him. So uh, it's my privilege to do so. And today, really, I feel like God has led us to the topic of prayer. So I hope that you have your outline there before you, but also I hope that you will turn to Matthew chapter 6 as we look at what Jesus has to say about prayer. For 38 years, I have loved, played, and been hurt by soccer. 38 years. Now, I'm not 38. I'm 46. And it started when I was 8 years old, and I loved to play the game of soccer. But let me just tell you, in those 38 years, there were some times in those 38 years that were very formative in my life. One of those times was during my middle school years when a coach named Steve came and started coaching our team. He took time with us and made sure that we understood the fundamentals. He actually even gave me old VCR tapes. You guys know what I'm talking about, VCR tapes. Some of you do, some of you don't. And I would put those in the VCR player, that's what would play the VCR tape, and watch it on my cabinet TV. You guys know what I'm talking about. And there in the, on the floor before the TV screen, watching what the coach was telling me to do, I would there practice my fundamentals over and over again. It was formative in my soccer playing to be familiar with the fundamentals to improve my touch on the ball. And as with the fundamentals in soccer, let me just say prayer is one of those fundamentals. Now this may be a passage that you're very familiar with. Some of you may have quoted this over a thousand times. Let me just remind you what Luther said about the Lord's Prayer. He said, this is a prayer that you could pray a thousand times and always learn something new from it. He continued by saying, the tragedy is that most people do pray it a thousand times, but never realize the incredible things that are hidden in it. So today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer and see what God has to say to us through this model prayer. Let me pray for us, and then we will read the passage of Scripture. Lord God, I come before you today, and I pray that as we talk about prayer, that we would be attentive to hear, that we wouldn't just hear, but that we would put into practice what you teach us about prayer. We thank you for this direct teaching on prayer that comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may we, as we study this, may our prayer lives change from this point forevermore. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Jesus said this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward, receive their reward. Verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father 
forgive your trespasses. Now, as we come to this passage, it's very important that we cover some background information. So what you are going to see on the paper there in front of you is some important background information. First, this is in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. And this Sermon on the Mount is a time where Jesus pulls his disciples to the side after many days of ministry and really focuses down on them because he wants them to know about prayer. His sermon makes it clear that a life changed by Christ will be different than a worldly life. In our passage before us, Jesus is revealing how those who are deceived by trusting in a religious system pray in comparison to those who are trusting in God alone. To put this in our terminology here at Sheridan Hills, Jesus is comparing those who are trusting in cultural Christianity versus those who are trusting in a biblical Christianity. Lastly, you'll see in the background information this important point that one of his disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, it's interesting to note that this is the only time the disciples asked them to teach them something. So here, Jesus is teaching us on prayer. And it's important for us to think about this because on your box, on your page, I put a quote here by a guy named Jeremiah Burroughs. Now, you may remember Pastor Andrew bringing him up at another time and actually mentioning one of his books, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. But notice what he says about prayer. We do not seek God truly unless we seek Him in His own ways. So as we hear Jesus talking about prayer, it's important for us to see, okay, what is He telling us how we should pray to the Lord? So the first point that I want you to see is this, the manner of prayer. The manner of prayer. We are to pray regularly. We're to pray regularly. If you look on your paper, I actually put it in bold for you. Notice how many times Jesus assumes the fact that we will pray. We will have a conversation with the Father. And that's exactly what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation with God. But notice verse 5 says, when you pray. Verse 6 says, when you pray. Verse 7 says, when you pray. And also, notice verse 9. Verse 9 doesn't say, well, you know, the times that you pray, you should pray it kind of like this. It's pray. Pray then like this. We see prayer is seen throughout the Bible. From Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, all the way to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. The Bible has for us 650 different prayers. So prayer is vitally important. Prayer is not only important in the Word of God, but we also see it as an important piece in Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus prayed throughout His earthly ministry. 25 times He prayed. And not only did Jesus mention prayer, also, Paul mentioned prayer as well, over 41 times. So prayer is important. And for us to pray regularly is vital for our own growth, our own walk with God. But the second thing I want you to see is this. We are to pray sincerely. Notice verses 5 and 6. Matthew writes, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, those that are fake, those that are not true believers. Notice what they do. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. They want to be seen by others. But in comparison, Jesus says, verse 6, When you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. 
You see, we are to pray sincerely. Now, it's not wrong for us to pray, pray publicly, to pray in an assembly, to pray corporately as we have done, as Colvin led us to do today. It's not wrong for us to pray when we're blessing the food or when we need to seek God's help. But I want you to think about this picture and this story. This is a picture of the Pharisee and the tax collector, which is told to us in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. Jesus tells us a parable, and it says, Two men went up to pray, into the temple to pray, one Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, can't you just see him doing this? God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. You can just see him with his nose in the air. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And Jesus compares this Pharisee with a tax collector. And verse 13 says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, praying sincerely, from our text we find praying sincerely, and this comes out of verse 6, focuses on God. It's praying to an audience of one, not like this Pharisee and not like the hypocrites that we see in our passage before us today that are seeking to get the applause in the audience of others. You see, prayer is for an audience of one. It says in verse 6, Go into your room and shut the door. Now, it's interesting to think about in connection to Pastor Andrew's sermon two weeks ago, and Pastor Ben's sermon just last week. The truth of the matter is, you are known by God. And Matthew chapter 20, 10, verse 26, says this, So have no fear then, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. You see, you are known by God. Pastor Andrew preached from Psalm 139. You are known by God. But also, I want you to keep in mind, not only are you known by God, but you are invited into God's presence by Christ. Pastor Ben preached from this text last week. Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, praying sincerely and recognizing that you're known by God and invited by Christ, it allows you to shut out the distractions that are around you so you can focus on God. A modern-day example would be when you're walking around and you see people with the big headphones on, right? The Bose noise-canceling headphones. T.J. Chipman, when he was here, he would go into the office and he would put those things on and go into his own world to be able to prepare whatever needed to be done. Oftentimes, I would just tease him and go up to him and go, <laughs> even though he could hear me. But think about the Bose noise-canceling headphones. God is not so much concerned in our passage about the location as he's addressing the false teaching of the Pharisees, which thought if you were in the right location, uh, thought that if you were in the right location, but you had the wrong attitude, you're okay. No, Jesus is concerned about the right attitude. And John Stott says it this way, 
as you think about prayer, the essence of Christian prayer is to seek God. It's focusing on Him. But in our text, it also tells us something else about this. In verse 6, it mentions that we are to not only go into our room and shut the door, but we're to pray to our Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. One, we focus on God, but two, we know that God sees all. It's clear. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24 says, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord? You see, you may think, oh, I can go into my secret place, or I can keep this secret sin, or I can keep the secrets from God. But God knows, because God sees all. Your Father, who sees what is done in secret. But thirdly, I want you to think about it this way. We can trust that God will give you what you need. It says, He will reward you at the end of verse 6. He will reward you. And Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God knows what we need. And He will supply what we need when we need it. So we can enter into His presence, the throne of grace, in right standing with Christ, we can enter into His presence with confidence. But there's a third thing I want you to see out of this passage, and that's this, that we are to pray with simplicity. We are to pray with simplicity. We're to think about what we are saying. Notice verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. Praying with simplicity. Thinking about what we are saying. Using words and phrases which are concise and loaded with meaning. These empty phrases that are referred to in verse 7 is babbling. Utterly meaningless words or sounds. Speaking incoherently. And babbling prayer is praying with many words, hoping that you will maybe be heard by using many words. Well, I love what John MacArthur says about this. He says, prayer that is thoughtless and indifferent is an offense to God and should be offensive to us. No, we are to engage our minds. We're not to use vain repetition. We're not to use lofty words. Instead, we should look to Scripture, the Bible as our guide as we pray. Notice what the passage tells us in verse 8. Don't be like them. Don't use vain repetition. Instead, it says, your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. So what better way to pray to the Lord what better way to approach the Lord? What better way to praise the Lord than to use Scripture? Robert Murray McChaney was a Scottish preacher. And he said, turn the Bible into prayer. This is the best way for, of knowing the meaning of the Bible and of learning to pray. And Tim Keller in his book on prayer, which we have many copies in the bookstore, I strongly recommend it to you. He says our prayers should arise out of immersion in the Scripture. We speak only to the degree that we are spoken to. And the wedding of the Bible and prayer anchors your life down in the real God. So look to Scripture to guide you in your prayers. Another book that I would mention to you, that I would refer you to, is also in our bookstore, and it is praying the Bible. 
Because in praying the Bible, there's a method that's presented there of using prayers and psalms in Scripture. There are multiple psalms, and I've actually listed for you some of the prayers that are mentioned throughout the Bible. Now remember, there's 650, so to keep it short, I kept only a few on here. But keep in mind, also, the psalms are there for us to be able to pray. There are psalms of lament, psalms where you're pouring your heart out to God, like Psalm 51. There's psalms of praise, like Psalm 150. And there's psalms of thanksgiving, giving praise and thanks to God for what He's done, like Psalm 100. Notice the first three verses of what Psalm 100 says. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. And we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. May I encourage you, take time with the Scriptures and pray the Scripture back to the Lord. This is a great way to give fuel to the fire. This is a great way to solidify your faith. This is a great way for you to grow in praying. Use the Word. It's God's revelation to you. Pray it back to Him. As you turn the page over, I also want to now focus down on the model prayer. Now, some, play, some people call it the Lord's Prayer. And actually, this is not the Lord praying it. This is the Lord instructing it. So this is more the model prayer. And I call your attention to the box that's there as we think about the model prayer. Notice the statement from John Calvin and what John Calvin said. Never will man pray as he ought unless the master will guide both his mouth and his heart. You see, God has given us through his word and directly through this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking here, clear direction on our praying and telling us how we should pray, not what we should pray. So keep this in mind, how we should pray. Well, in the beginning of it all, we're just going to work our way through this model prayer. And I want to point out some points as we go through. As we talk about how you should pray, not what you should pray. The first is this. The prayer starts with our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. You see, prayer should begin with worship. Our prayers should begin with worship, recognizing who God is as Father. The extent of His reign in heaven and what He has done. Notice as you go through this prayer, and I put them in bold on your outline up at the top, all of the pronouns that are used there are plural. Why? Because I believe we join a worldwide chorus of believers who rightly praise the Creator of the universe. So here, notice our Father in heaven. Our Father refers to a personal and caring Father to whom His children can relate. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom you cry, Abba, Father. You see, God is a personal God. He's one who cares about us. He's a covenantal God who longs for a covenantal relationship with us. But also keep in mind, not only is He our Father, but He's also in heaven. And I believe that speaks to the fact that He's an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God of whom His children can revere. Psalm 33, verses 18 through 21 say this, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him and on those who hope in His steadfast 
love. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Now notice as we come to the next part of Scripture, and I would encourage you, off to the side by our Father in Heaven, write out the word worship. But as we come to the next three, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, again, I would encourage you to maybe put a a little arc there. Connect the three and say, these are three petitions regarding God's nature and His purposes. And notice, these petitions begin with God's interests, not our own. They are praising God in worship as we ask God to act in such a way that His people will make His name sacred, submit to His reign, and do His will. These these petitions concern God's honor, God's kingdom, and God's purpose. But listen to me for a second. Make no mistake. God is the one who sets apart His holy name. God is the one who brings His eschatological kingdom. And God is the one who causes His will to be fulfilled. He does so through human response. And each one of these petitions, as you look at them, there's going to be an already aspect and a not yet aspect aspect. So let's think about this. Hallowed be your name. This is speaking about God's name, His honor, and His character. And let me just remind you, His name cannot be made holy because He is holy. And look at what Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2 says. Speak to all all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So, as we think about hallowed be your name, the first point I want you to see there is this, requesting for God to lead people to acknowledge His holiness. To hallow means to make holy, separate, transcendent. And this is a petition requesting that people would recognize and acknowledge the holiness of God. Isaiah 29, 23 says this, For when he sees his children, the work of my hands, in his midst, they will sanctify, make holy, my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, and notice the result, and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. There's a requesting for God to lead His people to acknowledge His holiness. But also I want you to see there's an expressing concern that His name not be profaned by sinful behavior. By sinful behavior. What do I mean by that? Well, I put Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 20 through 22 on your, on the screen before you, and I hope you will look at this. Notice what it says. But when they come to the nations, wherever they come, they profaned my holy name. In that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of this land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. You see, our desire should be we want God's holy name to go forth. We want God's holy name to be proclaimed clearly to all people and expressing concern that his name not be profaned by sinful behavior. That's exactly 
what the prophet was talking about in the book of Ezekiel. But as we think about hallowed be your name, I also want you to think about your kingdom come. This is speaking about God's kingdom, his rule. And as we consider how we should pray in reference to your kingdom come, we should pray waiting for his actual kingship to be fully implemented. To think about it in light of the book of Revelation. Revelation 22.20 says this, And he, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming. And the statement is, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Waiting for him to come as king and fully implement his kingdom. But not only do we pray in that way, we should also pray desiring to see people submit to his sovereignty over their lives. Philippians 2, this passage about the humility of Christ, concludes with saying, He'll be given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praying, your kingdom come. This is a petition not so much asking that something may become true, which is not already true because God is king, but rather it's praying that his actual kingship may be fully implemented as people submit humbly to his sovereignty. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your will be done speaks about God's will. It's about His purposes. And praying in line with this is yearning for His demands to be followed and salvation history to be brought about. Isaiah 46, 8 through 11 says this. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring to the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. You see, it's yearning for God to accomplish all his purposes. As we think about that in light of his demands being followed and salvation history being brought about, we can just look through the Old Testament and see how God, faithful to his covenant, brought about salvation through the gift of his son, Jesus. And we should pray in such a way as we yearn for God to be on his rightful throne for the Lord Jesus Christ to rule and to reign and for his will to be done. But also, I want you to see, we should pray longing to see him obeyed and his purposes fulfilled. We see a picture of this on the very words of the Lord Jesus as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus praying, wrenching his heart out before the Lord God. Matthew 26, 42 says, again, for a second time, he went away and prayed. And listen to what he prayed. My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus knew that the right way forward was for the Lord's will to be done. And we need to keep that in mind as well when we pray. Praying, Lord, your will be done. Continuing on through the prayer, what we notice is that on earth as it is in heaven, this is mindful of eternity, but also thinking about our place in the midst of eternity committing to honor God's name 
and accept his kingship and doing his will. The eschatological truth that our Lord Jesus Christ will one day rule and reign over all as the King of glory, bringing universal peace without any evil. So we pray with a mind for eternity. And what is the picture of eternity? Well, I didn't include this on the screen, but I want you to hear Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16, and listen to what it says. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped with blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. You see, this is praying in the mind, being mindful of eternity. Praying knowing that one day our Lord Jesus will rend the gates of heaven and come down and establish his rule and his reign. He'll come and be the king of all on the white horse. And praying with a mind for eternity thinks about our part in committing to honor God's name and accepting his ruling kingship in our life and doing his will. But also it involves seeking the reality of heaven to be reflected on earth. You see, in heaven, God's name is already a holy. His kingship already acknowledged. And His will is done. Praying, longing to see that take place in the consummation is what we're talking about when we're talking about praying with a heavenly mindset or with eternity in mind. Now as we move from these three petitions. Notice the next three petitions that we see here. And these petitions regard our good. So if you want to put a little bracket around it, around the three, give us this day, forgive us, and lead us. These three are regarding our good. And if you notice, they're all linked by the pronoun us. They're placed though, within the overarching umbrella of God's will, rather than our desires as they ask for God to sustain us with daily provision. We ask for God to forgive us of our sin, and we ask, us, ask God sorry, to deliver us from temptation. Give us this day our daily bread. It's trusting in His daily provision of our physical needs. Later on in the chapter, in Mar uh, Matthew chapter 6, we're reminded that we shouldn't be anxious about anything. And in the midst of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what to put on. It says, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You see, we can rest and know, as verse 31 says, to not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Verse 32 in Matthew chapter 6 says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. But listen to this. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You see, we can rest in that. We can rest in the fact and trust Him with the daily provision of our physical needs. Now, that doesn't mean us just sitting on our haunches. But we need to come to the point where we realize this important truth. That He's the one who provides what we need. He's the one who gives us strength to work. He's the one that provides the opportunities that we have to fulfill the needs that we have. But secondly, I want you to also think about depending on God 
really, as we think about depending on God, depending on God through Christ to supply everything you need. Depending on God through Christ. Notice Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours, listen, according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Resting in God, providing through Christ. But the next petition that we see here is, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, this is dealing with past sin. And it's confessing sin to have a pure heart before Him. 1 John 1.9, which we've studied already here in this room, says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, if we ask God, as we're asking God how we should pray, we should be confessing our sin to Him so that we have a pure heart and are in right relationship with Him. But secondly, I want you to see that we should also seek to be emulating His reconciliatory actions in our relationships. Notice Forgive us our debts. Luke chapter 11 uses the word sin. So forgive us our sins, but notice, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgiven our debtors. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, talk about how we are reconciled to God, and thus we should be reconciled to one another. We should note that it is the debtors rather than the debts which we have forgiven. We need to be reconciled in our personal relationships. And one sign of our personal relationship with God through Christ is that we begin to emulate His actions with others. Ephesians 2. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his fellowship the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he may create in himself one new man in the place of two, and so making peace. Making peace. So this petition that our Lord presents before us it's not just about us confessing our sin, but also us being in right relation with others. And lastly, the last petition we see here is this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Whereas forgiving our debts deals with past sin, lead us not into temptation, I believe, deals with future sin. Notice, involved in this statement is this idea that we are recognizing our spiritual weakness and looking to God for strength and wisdom. Looking to God for strength and wisdom. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may endure it. Dealing with our spiritual weakness, looking to God for strength and for wisdom. 1 Corinthians 10.13 reminds us He's faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but with the temptation, he'll provide a way out. But secondly, I also want you to see this, that I believe this is teaching us or telling us that we are pleading for God's protection from the evil one. Now I'll put on the paper 1 John 5.18, and look at what it says. 
We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. That's powerful. That's powerful. To know that God protects us from the evil one. And as we rest in that, as we remember that, as we pray, we can pray and ask the Lord to have His way. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with what Jesus has said here about prayer? Well, I put on your paper some questions for reflection to really think about in regard to what Jesus has just taught us about prayer. The first question is this. Are you able to approach God as Father? If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can't approach the Father. Because Isaiah 59 2 says, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. But there's a second question I want you to think about, and that's this. How would you rate your time with the Lord? How would you rate your prayer life? Use the old scale from 1 to 10. Where do you lie? Are you lower than 5? Are you around a 7? Do you feel like you're somewhere around 10? Well, listen to me. I pray that this text is a reminder that we all have some growing to do. A third question I would say is this. Are you sometimes easily distracted in your prayer? Isn't it interesting Jesus said, hey, go into your room. By the way, this was some kind of hidden room in the inner part of the house. You know, I came from Alabama. I know that as being like the tornado shelter. You know, that's where you go when the tornado's coming, right? But here he says, go into your room. Shut the door and pray to your Father. Are you easily distracted? Pray to the Lord to help you to focus in on Him. And lastly, I want to ask you this question. What factors about prayer, what different pieces of your prayer life need most attention? What do you really need to address? What is God speaking to you about here as we have just now spoken about God's Word? Is He calling you to Himself? Is He calling you to a deeper walk with Him? Is He calling you to study and flood your soul with the Word of God so that you know more of Him and you have guidance in your prayers through using the Word of God? I pray that you would just listen to what the Lord is saying to you today. And may this be a fundamental that changes you for the rest of your life. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for Jesus taking time to answer his disciples and teaching them about prayer. We're thankful for the opportunity we have to be able to look at your passage, look at what your word has to say today, and consider our own prayer life. And Lord, I pray that as we consider our prayer life, we would recognize our standing with you, that we would dive into a deeper fellowship with you, and that we would grow in the knowledge and faith of our Lord Jesus. God, thank you for your word. Lord, we recognize there's power in your word. Thank you for your revelation to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jason. I want you to really um, recognize when have we prayed enough? Now, maybe there's a few in this room that are very disciplined in their prayer life, and, and boy, they, they really pray. Have a seat, Matthew. Hold on just a minute. Um, I want to encourage you to consider this. You know, very often we have misunderstood this passage. In cultural Christianity, we think, well, we're supposed to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be. And we, we think, oh, man, I didn't memorize that. Or, oh, I messed it up. But the text says, it doesn't say pray this. It says pray then like this. And that's what Pastor Jason has just been walking us through. This is a model for us to pray. This is a prayer that we would, this is a, a way for us to begin to pray to the Father, praying about His glory, praying about His will, praying about His kingdom, praying about His provision in our lives, praying about our relationship to Him and to others. Oh, that we would become people who truly pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Would you pray in this way? Would you learn to pray in this way? This is an excellent outline for you to begin to personalize in your own life, expressing your worship of God, expressing your desire for His will. We've already said, as long as your will be done, we sang that earlier, that you would be glorified. Praying that his plan would come to fruition and that we would depend upon him and that we would have right relationships. Those are good things for you to pray. So, uh, Pastor Jason, thank you, dear brother. Thank you for challenging us in this. Um, I hope and pray that each one of us will grow in this spiritual discipline and that we would do so in a way that truly honors him. We're going to sing about the fullness of Christ. Would you please stand together? What a glorious gift of His grace is to us, that Jesus is our Redeemer. There is no more for heaven to give because it gave all when it gave Jesus. Let's sing the glorious nature of 